Today on Sharp Scratch, you'll learn whether you ever really stop being a doctor, how normal it is to want to leave medicine, and what actually is a portfolio career. You're listening to Sharp Scratch, episode 28, Leaving Medicine. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we talk about all the things you might want to know to be a good doctor, but that you might not necessarily learn at med school. I'm Anna, and I'm a final year medical student at King's, and I'm also the editorial scholar here at the BMJ. And I'm absolutely delighted to be joined once again by my brand new friends, Lily <laughs> and Oki. Would you like Ooh. to introduce yourselves? Yeah, hi, I'm Lily. I am currently intercalating in anthropology and have done three years of medicine prior. Hello, I am Oki and I'm a third year medical student from Dundee. Brilliant. Lovely to have you guys not with me because obviously social distancing, etc. Obviously. Um, (laughs) But in the same (laughs) virtual space as me. And I'm also really, really excited um, that today on Sharp Scratch, we'll be joined by Dr. Fiona Godley, who I'm sure most of our listeners will know is not just the editor-in-chief of the BMJ, but the first ever female editor-in-chief of the BMJ. Fee, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Anna. Hi, Lily. Hi, Oki. Hi, everyone. Yep, that's me. (laughs) Sorry, you want me to say more? (laughs) I'm I'm Fiona Godley. I'm editor-in-chief of the BMJ, yes, and I have been now for um just over 15 years since 2005 we're so grateful that um, you, look, you sound yeah, impressed you've... at that i'm impressed <laughs> <laughs> 15 years oh too God. long okay, too long <laughs> yeah but yeah it's so great for um us to have you with us today fee and hopefully um you'll be able to give us some great insights into what we're going to be talking about um but also hopefully this will be an opportunity for you to yeah get a little insight into what we do at sharp scratch So in our last episode, we talked about how useful it can be to have experience working outside of medicine before or maybe even during medical school. Today, we're talking about something that kind of has like similar themes, um, but is a bit different. So we're going to be talking about leaving clinical practice or even leaving the field of healthcare altogether. And I think we all know that increasingly doctors are looking at things like portfolio careers, um, combining clinical work with other things. And some obviously do leave medicine altogether and pursue careers in other areas. So I guess a lot of people I know who are no longer in clinical practice, like still work in health adjacent fields, um, but not everyone. So Lily, okay, we're all still at med school. Have you considered leaving medicine at all? Like in the time you've been at medical school? Yeah, maybe 3,000 million times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. I'm, I'm glad it's not just me. I was, oh, I was, no. yeah, I was I like so that, But set. I find that really sad to hear that you no. feel that. I like, bad. I love a lot of it, but yeah. Mm, I was so set at the beginning because, um, as I was actually saying earlier, before we started recording, um, I studied history during my intercalated year. And I was so set at the beginning of that year that I was going to leave after my intercalated degree. And I was going to go do a history master's and become a journalist. And then at the, by the end of the year, I was like, oh my God, I can't sit here and just like 
talk about things that don't have any answer anymore i need to go back to my lovely comforting <laughs> answerful world of medicine um so i think it's something that like it definitely almost everyone i've spoken to has been like there's been times where i've considered leaving medicine or leaving med school um so i think it's a really like relevant thing to talk about because we know that actually not that many people do leave medicine altogether uh, certainly in med school like the dropout rates for medicine are really good compared to other courses um and the attrition rate for doctors is is nowhere near as bad as other professions like teaching and nursing but it um, does suggest that i mean if they're here the three of you i mean i've so long ago i can't remember i i think i just felt um you know pretty set on medicine and um didn't didn't look elsewhere certainly not during my medical school although i did do history of medicine as my intercalated so i did sort of do a slightly less medical you know, more artsy, intercalated degree. But um, it makes me wonder whether medical schools are doing enough to make you feel inspired and committed and, you know, in- excited and engaged mm. at the moment. I would say for me, it's more to do with imposter syndrome. Thinking, oh, am I actually good enough to be doing this right now? Rather than it just being... Oh, awful, I see. So it's more of a self-doubt thing than a, than a medicine isn't yeah. for me kind of thing. Mm. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. That's really interesting. That, which is completely different, I guess. Yeah. yeah. You're going to be a great doctor, um... Oki. I can't believe you would have self-doubt. <laughs> and oh, also thank you. self-doubt <laughs> is very healthy. Everyone should have some self-doubt. Sophie, I was wondering, maybe you would like to inspire us a little bit and um, tell us a little bit about your career and when you left clinical medicine. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, it's funny that here I am in this job, which is not clinical medicine, and yet I feel absolutely um, inspired and committed to and, and, and um, fascinated by and embedded in medicine. I, d- I don't feel, I mean, people will say I'm deluded, but I don't feel that I left medicine in the way that someone who's gone into something completely other might have done. Mm. Um, and, and certainly to do this job, you couldn't, you have to be a doctor to be this to be in this role mm. and we have you know on the bmj quite a few clin- clinicians who have become editors some of whom are still practicing so my route was um that i come from a very medical family and i'd always as far as i can remember wanted to be- do medicine and um loved it pretty much um right the way through i did my training in london and cambridge and then i um, did my SHO as they were jobs and then I was a medical registrar at the Whittington which is a very busy district general hospital in, in North London and um, got my membership at the uh, Royal College of Physicians And um, but it is fair to say that I remember wondering where I would go in medicine and I didn't want to specialise I love general medicine and at the time I was doing this which was in the mid to late 80s General medicine was disappearing as a, as a sort of a route. Everyone was having to decide to specialise. And I think um, at the time, kind of casualty, acute medicine, was, was a place for people who hadn't made it in surgery. And I, and I didn't really feel like the place to be, although I loved working in casualty. I, it was a fascinating place to be. And um, I loved the whole sort of social, if that's the right word, side of hospitals, the, the buzz and the, and the interdisciplinary and the, you know, the engagement. So anyway, I yeah, I, I wasn't entirely sure of my route. And also, um, I was very interested in the kind of art side of things, which is, you know, as I did my history of medicine degree. And um, sorry, I've got a dog coming, trying to get in. I'll just have to... <laughs> 
<laughs> the joys of recording from home. In addition, I'd always had this sense of wanting to do something with the arts, and I'd done my history of medicine degree, and I wanted to write. And I, and someone saw the job advertised for the BMJ, um, and the BMJ had decided they wanted to get some clinicians into the team, people who were still active and, and a bit of a younger kind of breed. And so they set up this thing called the Editorial Registrar Scheme, and I was the second of those registrars. Um, and the idea was you'd come into the BMJ for a year and then go back into medicine. But as it happened, um, Trish Groves, who was the first, and I was the second, uh, Louisa Dillner was the third, um, Alison Tonks, who's also still with us, um, is, was the fourth. So there's a whole sequence of us who, who, who came and stayed. And um, so the, the scheme in that sense was a bit of a, f- you know, not a failure, but it didn't do what it was intended to do. But it did recruit a whole load of clinically trained early specialty training clinicians um, and Cameron Abassi who's the BMJ's executive editor my deputy is also someone who came in through that route so it's been quite an interesting sort of uh, sequence that has happened. And how did you feel about giving up seeing patients because you know I think a lot of people like myself included that's a huge part of the reason why I didn't leave medicine even though I've thought about it so many times is because I love seeing patients and it's something that actually I've noted this year I'm not a doctor um but I've noted this year being at the BMJ which has been amazing but I have missed seeing patients actually quite a lot more than I thought I was going to so what was that like yeah I agree I mean I think I think for for so two things kind of changing your identity internally was was tricky and I for a long time I said to people you know I'm a doctor but I'm currently working as an editor it took me about five years to stop saying that and then I because a doctor is something kind of so substantial and so sort of concrete and um, then I began to say I used to be a doctor and now I'm an editor and then I stopped even bothering to say that but the patient thing was interesting too because the joy of it seemed to me of clinical medicine it is the sense of people coming to you in the, at the most vulnerable and you being able to engage and, and, and help them. I mean, it sounds very cheesy, but... Um, and also the very wide mix of people you meet through medicine, um, not, not necessarily the doctors so much, but the patients. And um, I, I really did miss that. And um, also the sort of physical activity of being a doctor, whereas being an editor, you're tending to sit at a desk. And Oh, yeah, so definitely. I, kind of <laughs> I have missed running around a hospital yeah, so much. <laughs> I, I did miss all that. So there were a number of things that, 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 that struck me in that first year. And I, when the BMJ asked me to stay on for a second year and I got my registrar of rotation to keep the role open for me, which they did, I was sort of still thinking of going back to medicine and feeling rather bereaved of certain aspects of it. Uh, but by the time that second year had finished, I was really embedded in the journal and loved the breadth of it, the generalness of it, the academic stimulation. The you know there was there was a social aspect in terms of all the different um, you know researchers and academics and clinicians you were dealing with at a distance, but still you know through the journal. So I'm um, lots of travel. You know the, the journal allowed. I went off to the Earth Summit in Rio, and I went off to Nepal, and all sorts of sort of external meetings I was sent to to cover or, or, or speak at so it suddenly you know the whole world opened up in a different way and and it was very hard to think of stepping away from that mm. I think what I find really interesting and I've always spent probably because I spend too much time in my own head thinking about stuff <laughs> um and actually maybe Louis can help give an anthropological um 
kind of <laughs> slot. Oh, she's sure she's put, she's pulling her face. But is this idea of how mu- how much your identity can form around your profession? Because I know for for me, I've come. I came into medicine very traditionally. You know, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I applied to medical school. I went straight into medical school from school when I was but, eighteen. But Alan, just to just to say, and... you're 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 the first in your family, aren't you? I think it's worth saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. There's there's not Whereas really I'm one any... of a long line. <laughs> exactly. And did that? Do you you know? Do you think that made it more difficult? Like, are your siblings still practicing? Like, did they ever make any comments about you not being a quote unquote real doctor anymore? Because I think that's something that people encounter. Um, I was speaking to actually one of the clinical editors at the BMJ and. They were saying, you know, I feel like I need to continue doing some locum shifts because otherwise all of my clinical colleagues are going to sort of think I'm not a real doctor anymore and and all of this. And I just find it so interesting how much of our identities can be tied up in our professions. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, one of the things is why does one want to be a doctor? I think, you know, when you say to people, I'm going to do medicine, they go, ooh, that's fantastic. You know, there's a kind of positive enforcement, reinforcement that goes on. And so, yes, when you when you step away, there are people who think, well, well why would you do that? What a complete, you know, what a waste of your training or... Um, but I think, uh, certainly for me, I was the youngest of, I am the youngest of four. My three older siblings are all GPs. So I'd already slightly taken a different route. Um, and that's one of the joys of medicine, I think, is that there are these very many different routes to stay within it and, and to contribute and be, you know, engaged. Um, so I went down the hospital route and did my membership. And so that had set me apart a bit. My dad had done, I was a cancer specialist. I, I think they sort of, they kind of didn't really, they, they, I mean, they were slightly surprised, I think. But I think it was always slightly the sense that I would go back. And then by the time I wasn't going to go back, I was beginning to publish stuff and write stuff. And so that brings you a bit of that feeling that just, you know, it shows people that it's real and you're actually doing something slightly useful. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Lillian Oki, what um, if you both kind of considered leaving med- medicine? Why why did you stay? Like, what were your pull factors like keeping you in medicine? I think a big one for me is probably pride. The idea of having to tell people that yeah, like what you were saying, fee that I like let medicine go, which is kind of seen as this like I don't know, ugh, like palace. I don't know. I just mm. think. Like, when I tell people I'm a medical student, they're always like, wow. They, like, without fail, will always say something like, wow, or amazing, or how, or that's so hard. And the idea of losing that is, like, it's not the, it's probably not the most significant thing, but it's, like, a big paranoia at the back of my mind, like, telling my mum. But actually, in reality, I have stayed because I can't imagine doing anything else I don't know what my job as a doctor will look like. I don't know if it will be look like me on a team in a hospital or as a GP or whether it becomes less than full time or public health or something like that. But actually, in reality, I can't imagine doing a job that isn't so directly useful and exciting. I yeah, guess. I definitely I definitely get that. Because, like, one of my friends who's a reg at the moment, he always says, if there's anything else in the world that you could do that would make you as happy as medicine, go do that instead. Obviously, he's a bit negative. But um, 
I've kind of kind of like you, Lily. I've thought about like all the different careers, and I genuinely can't think anything of anything else that would make me as happy. Um, and also, part of what I like about medicine is the amount of choice you have. So I, when people hear medicine, they think it's like quite a narrow pigeonhole that you're getting yourself into. But within medicine itself, there's so many different specialties. And then you can also do other things alongside medicine. So I quite like teaching. So as a doctor, I still get to teach. I enjoy doing research as well. As a doctor, I still get to do research. I like the clinical practice of it all. I get to do that as well. So medicine for me is just, it just ticks way too many boxes for me to leave because of not necessarily feeling good enough some days if that makes any sense Mm. yeah I I definitely think the prospect of like being able to create your own career which is like diverse and varied that keeps me going I think if I was looking at a trajectory of yeah I'm gonna become a GP and do that for the rest of my life perhaps I would struggle to motivate myself but being like like you're saying like oh I could do a bit of teaching I could do a bit of research I I could do some anthropology like that is exciting Mm. and no other job allows you to do that really for me there's also a sense of like this maybe (laughs) isn't a very nice thing to say but you know it people always tell you like how competitive it is to get into medical school and all of this and like I got into medical school like on my first attempt and I know that loads of people don't and it would just feel like I think there was always a sense of like it would be so pointless for you to give that up because someone who actually did want to go to medical school like could have had that place and you've just wasted that like I don't know I don't think that's a huge factor for me but Mm. there definitely is that guilt like and I guess when you become a doctor as well you're like oh, you know, the NHS has poured all this money into training me and now I'm going to give that up and not, you know, give back my service to to the NHS and to the people who have trained me. I don't know if you agree with that, Fee. Yeah, no, I absolutely do think that. And um, and and I think that um, in, some, in the same way, that is quite... It's, it's a reasonable feeling, isn't it, to say, you know, you went to the trouble of all the, all the work you did to get to medical school and, and people put their faith in you and have given you that training. I mean, but on the other hand, I would, I would say if one had any doubt, um, it, you know, there are people who stay in medicine for the wrong reasons, but for that, for that reason, they, they, they started doing it because their families wanted them to and they, they had, you know, anxieties about, you know, having a... I don't know, all sorts of, of sort of... Mm. reasons other than feeling that they want to be a doctor themselves so I think it's important to balance that and the it can take a lot of courage to move away from a from a from a role that you've taken on for the wrong reasons and I, I would applaud people who who do that you know what I mean um at the same time it's rather ironic that the the thing we've we've set up at the BMJ of encouraging selected people to come um out of medicine to work on the bmj you know we're sort of pulling we hope talented very ha- like anna very talented people <laughs> out of medical um work stream into the bmj but we do it because we think we are part of medicine we do it that we sort of feel that we're still in there and really mm. making a good contribution yeah and i think that's yeah. that's where i guess fee you leaving clinical medicine i suppose may have had less of an impact on how you conceptualize your own identity in terms of the medical field because the BMJ is so very kind of embedded into that whole world um and it might be a bit different for people who leave and do something different which um we're going to talk about in a little bit but what I've also found interesting is um obviously at the moment the whole um 
COVID-19 thing that's going on and all of these doctors have come out of retirement and they've fast-tracked final year medical students and I find that really interesting that even after you know you've done your service to the NHS and to your patients and you've retired people are still really really keen to come back and help when they're needed and it just makes me wonder whether you ever like actually stop being a doctor if you've trained and like become a doctor yeah it's interesting because I I, I realize it's something we haven't perhaps looked at enough in this covid um thing uh, period which is you know what is it that's that's led so many retired doctors to come back when um we had prior to this had this sense that people were retiring early they'd lost their mojo they were feeling exhausted burnout you know paperwork um overwork all of that and and um we talked about people i mean amongst my siblings um they retired pretty much bang on you know their 60th birthdays and and you know they'd worked incredibly hard over the years and and quite right too um and so so i i suppose it's really interesting there's something about this covid thing that re-inspires people it's the national emergency obviously but it's also really acute clinical need and um and also there's an element of sort of service and risk involved. I don't know, I'm, I'm really fascinated by it. And, and someone like Lily as an anthropologist, you could come in, or a psychologist, and, and examine <laughs> really this as an a phenomenon. <laughs> uh, and we've also yes, managed are. on the BMJ, just to give a plug for him, is to get Richard Lehman back out of retirement. Richard Lehman ran a fantastically successful um, column for us, looking at, you know, over, uh, summarising and, and, and analysing research published in other journals. Uh, very funny at times and critical and wonderful. Uh, but he stepped away a year or so ago and um, when COVID came back, he's come back. So retirement um, is not, you know, I think there's a lot, lots of ways in which people can come back into active service. Definitely. I think it's just interesting how it seems like being a doctor, like, becomes so embedded into who you are. And, like, I I already think that, like, as a med student, maybe not so much in my first and second years, but once I started seeing patients when I was in third year, you know, if someone asked, like... Lily Noki, if someone said to you, describe who you are, a medical student yeah. would be like one of the first things you, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of the oh first things God. you would say. And that's not to like impress people, that's just because I just yeah part of your identity. Yeah, it's just become so it's become so much of what I have Defines yeah, you. like hung my identity on. And I don't know whether that's like healthy or not but well to be fair we do spend most of our lives doing medicine so it makes sense for it to be something that um you identify with and some some or something that you feel identifies you i i used to think i was the anti-medic and i was like very cool until <laughs> you are very um, cool like until like my halfway ball um we had like um different categories for like um nominations for like prizes and stuff and one of the prizes was um the do you know i study medicine prize and <laughs> i thought that? no i didn't i didn't win it oh. thankfully um but <laughs> thankfully. but i thought no one would ever nominate me for this but three of my friends did and i was very shocked and i was like oh maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah. i am that person so now i've decided to embrace it <laughs> interestingly if people ask me oh what do you do I will always say I'm a student and they always say what do you study and I say medicine but it, I, it's not because it doesn't being a medical student isn't part of my identity because it absolutely is I haven't somehow escaped that 
but I think because it is such a strong identity it's such a strong marker people have like a real Mm, distinct sense of what a medical student is what a doctor is I really don't want people to think that I'm that person before knowing other things about me I guess um Mm. and perhaps Mm. that's because I negative I see like that image that people have in their brain as like a negative thing um Mm. I think that's part yeah this is something that I was gonna um I wanted us to touch upon it's like it's kind of part of the fact that medicine as a profession like you say is so visible like it's not like doing Oh, well, I can't even think. Of, I can't even think of another job now. Um, but, you know, most <laughs> there people... are no other jobs in the world. <laughs> most people, when you ask them, alternative jobs, what they do, unless they're you know a doctor or a teacher, or you don't have a clear sense of what their day to day life might be like, unless you're in the same field, right? But I think because medicine as a profession is firstly so old, and secondly so visible in like the media, particularly recently, obviously, and you know shows like scrubs and house and stuff have been massively massively popular and i think you're completely right like people have an idea of what that means so you kind of get like your own identity is being sort of seen through the lens of other people who perhaps aren't exactly sure what you do but they feel like they have a quite a clear sense of it from the media which yeah. is like a really weird position to be in because i completely get what you're saying like there's a reputation there and you're sort of like in so whether you want it or not yeah. people have already made a decision about what type of person you are which yeah. is stressful yeah. but it's not it's not accidental i would i would lean away from thinking that this identity has kind of just come unsurprisingly out from medicine i would say that medicine as a field and the media and people themselves have con- have deliberately constructed an idea of who a doctor is. And actually, for a lot of purposes, it's really useful for patients to mm. think of a doctor as someone who's all-knowing, all-controlling. In a lot of <laughs> cases, that's like really helpful for a lot of patients. But there will be there will be cases where actually that identity is really unhelpful and really off-putting. But historically, that identity of a doctor as being like wow a superhero is helpful for patients and also for doctors themselves I think as a coping mechanism to think of themselves as something more than who they are Mm. if you can fall back into something that's not just you that I think is somehow helpful yeah you're like part of a big community right like Mm. I remember my first day of medical school they were like listen you know you're 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 part of us now like you're you're part of this conglomerate that is not just it's not firstly it's not just people in the UK like it's a global profession there's doctors in every Mm. single country in the world doing you know essentially at the basics of it the same thing right so you kind of instantly have that connection and it's also a very historic profession so we can look back on years and years of fascinating medical history and just feel like you're part of something bigger than you and I think that's what draws a lot of people to the profession yeah absolutely and I think you know if you leave it's like potentially like there are I guess there are some other professions where that's similar but I don't know medicine just seems like it it's very much its own thing like fee you have more experience well, you know, knowing me, people from it, other professions. It makes me think also, you know, when you see politicians who have been doctors like Dr. Liam mm. Fox and Dr. David Ernie, they, they continue to be um, 
um, you know, seen as something. In a, I mean, a lot of a lot of politicians are lawyers, aren't they, or businessmen, or and we don't sort of feel the need to to say that all the time. You know, I'm. Mm. I'd say so. There's something additional that that this confers on you, and it's a sort of assumption that there is some higher moral. A cause or, and some sort of larger, some sort of more ethical way of behaving, or and and that's good. That's true. I think at its best, that is absolutely true. Maybe a little bit spurious in some cases, but um, I, I I agree with you. There is a sense of joining some greater good, uh, and and mm. to, to to leave that represents some kind of wrench or some kind of betrayal, even perhaps at its mm. worst. Mm. Definitely. I guess the question is, do you ever leave medicine? Once you've joined the cult, you can never leave. <laughs> uh, well, certainly the BMJ, we never let people leave the BMJ, Anna, so I'm afraid you know, we've, we've got to. That's okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> okay, cool. So we're going to discuss um, a slightly different situation where you might leave the health field completely, but that will be right after this. How much do you care about indemnity right now? Probably not a lot. You're still a few years away from really worrying about claims and complaints from patients. But being part of medical protection is about a lot more than just indemnity. We can be there if something goes wrong, but we're also here to help make sure things go right too. We're the only medical defence organisation that protects doctors all over the world. From London to Brisbane, Cork to Cape Town, 300,000 members benefit from our expert advice and support throughout their career. During your years at medical school, your membership is completely free. You'll get training resources that can help you become an even better doctor, plus a dedicated student team there for you when you need it most. And when it comes to your elective, you can trust in our international experience to protect you wherever you choose to go. It's no wonder that 90% of medical students in the UK choose to be part of medical protection. You can find out more at medicalprotection.org. Okay, back to the show. So, Fee, obviously, as we've discussed, you stayed in a field that's, you know, like intimately allied allied to healthcare. Um, And I think lots of people who leave clinical practice do actually stay in, you know, kind of adjacent fields so lots of people start sort of medical medical companies might work for charities that are sort of allied to health in some way um but there are some people who leave medicine entirely um so I spoke to someone who has done just that so let's hear from them hi everyone so my name is Mayank Bandari I completed my medical training at UCL I uh, did a postgraduate qualification at the University of Cambridge uh, and went on to do my foundation training in the East Midlands. I left medical training towards the end of FY2. So right now I work for McKinsey & Company, which is a global management consultancy firm that serves leading businesses, governments uh, and non-governmental organisations across a range of uh, industries and topics. So far, I've spent uh, most of my time uh, working for numerous global pharma companies on topics from AI and ML to marketing and sales strategies, tech uh, and large-scale agile transformations. I've also spent a bit of time working um, on COVID-19 as well as with some of our private equity and, and 
transport and logistics clients. Leaving medicine is a question I get asked a lot. And um, there's, there's three main reasons for leaving clinical practice. So firstly, it was because I realized my excitement for healthcare was really about the potential we can make at a systemic level versus an individual patient. So having the opportunity, as I said, to work with global pharma companies, healthcare payers and providers, and NGOs has really fulfilled my desire to help at such a scale. Secondly, it was, in essence, to feed my intellectual curiosity about other industries outside of healthcare. So I'm a generalist at McKinsey, which means I'm able to work with pharma, medical products, clients uh, within healthcare, um, but also across other industries like transport and logistics, consumer, banking, private equity, and so on. And that's something that I find very exciting. And thirdly, it was to really develop a robust business-orientated approach to solving problems. It's a topic I've always been interested in uh, from my time at university. I had a couple of startups uh, and now I've really been able to throw myself in the deep end. The question around leaving the health sector, so I, I don't really feel like I have. Um, a lot of the work I do and my innate passion is for working on challenging problems or the ultimate aim of improving patient lives. Uh, and I've had an opportunity to do that um, at McKinsey. I did not encounter any resistance at all to leaving clinical practice. If anything, everyone was very, very supportive from the get-go. It was challenging as I had over 15 interviews in the space of less than a month, but my clinical supervisor, education supervisor, they all supported me and made the transition as smooth as I could have hoped for. So if you're listening, thank you. Do you think it's different for people who leave the field entirely rather than staying like within the sphere of medicine and do you think that there's any kind of stigma associated with that um particularly going into something that's so different to medicine like finance or business and things like that um I actually have a friend who left medicine completely um last year um, so this friend was a first year at my uni and she was kind of like my daughter in oh, a yeah, sense. Yeah. and then she, um, came to tell me, um, okay, I've got something to tell you. I was like, Oh, what's going on? I thought something really bad was about to happen. And she said, Oh, um, I've decided to sit my first year exams and then leave medicine. And she was really, really worried about telling me that. And I was like, why are you worried? I was, I, I, Cause I just replied, okay. And she was really confused. She thought I was going to tell her off and give her like a big lecture about it and stuff. But I think it's important that she decided to, that medicine wasn't for her in first year. And I thought that was like a really brave thing for her to do. And she's now studying geography, which she's enjoying a lot more. And it's what she wanted to do in the first place. But her parents kind of pushed her into the medicine thing. So I think it's good when people know themselves and know what's right for them and no one can tell you that apart from yourself regardless of what the prestige or whatever reason or other things that come with medicine 
I think yeah, that's really definitely. interesting, Oki. And it seems to me that there's a broader sense about what education is about and what, what life is about, because surely there's, there's gain in terms of the training, in terms of the experiences, in terms of the emotional development and personal development that come with being a doctor or training in medicine generally. Uh, and those assets, you know, to, to use that rather business term, will be transferable. You, you know, you will bring that experience to the next role you take on. So, there's, it, 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 it's not like it's like, like sort of just saying it never happened. It, it's saying all of that learning and training and experience is going to go into these other roles. So, I think we should see it in a more positive sense yeah. than that. Mm. And and it may be, who knows, that people people with who, who move into management consultancy, one of the other things medicine needs is, is people with good management experience. And I was going to make the point earlier that, that there's, in the portfolio that people might take on, there is this additional very important role in medicine, which is healthcare management and, and change management and those sort of things, um, strategy, uh, that we hope many more doctors will begin to include within their kind of armamentarium of skills. Do we think it's generational I don't have an answer to this, but do do you think we're seeing more, I guess we're seeing portfolio careers now and as the world of every other job has changed for people to have multiple careers across their life, whereas like in the olden days, um, people would do maybe one or two all their life, Mm. that medicine is not immune to that mentality. So Mm. I wonder if we're seeing that more of that now. And especially as we're having more like millennial consultants and eventually we'll have Gen Z, loads of Gen Z doctors. I think we will see medicine has to shift dependent on the actual workforce. And if the workforce are a different age, a different generation, then that is what will happen. Mm. What is a portfolio career? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's where you like do, I guess, multiple different things. So for instance if you did like two days clinical work and two days working at a medical school and then one day doing research or something like that is a portfolio because you do like various different things ah okay Um, i see right sorry i should have explained that at the beginning i've just been so like because because of all of the like bmj stuff people are very interested in like what their career is going to be like so um yeah i know all of these words i'm sorry i should have explained that at the beginning (laughs) that's great sophie what we usually like to do at the end of an episode of sharp scratch is to sum up our sort of top takeaways from the discussions that we've had um it's been really great to to have you here with us today so are there any sort of final thoughts on anything we've spoken about today that you'd like to leave our listeners with uh, it's been such a great discussion. It's really lovely to to meet um, Lily and Oki and to talk to you, Anna. And and um, just wanted to say to, uh, to any listeners, if you want to, you know, engage with the journal, be come and visit us. We we really love to 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 be you know involved with medical students who are the future of medicine in so many obvious ways. And you know, I think it's, I hope it's come across that speaking personally, that medicine is is a hugely important vocational um, thing. And and for me, you know, I think it is a fantastic career. And I I hate to feel that in anything that we've said might make people sort of more likely to look elsewhere, unless of course you're very unhappy in medicine, and you should certainly then 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 take your take your skills elsewhere. But I, my sense is that medicine is a great career, um, very broad. Uh, very rewarding and emotionally as well as academically rewarding and I really am glad to meet people like Lillian Oakey who are clearly you know gonna gonna flourish and do brilliantly as doctors in the future and hope the same is true for all of those listening that's great thank you so much Fee okay 
your second ever sharp scratch sum ups. Who wants to go first? I think Oki should go first. Uh, Lily went first last time, so. Yeah. Okay, yeah. First thing is, I learnt what a portfolio career is. Woohoo! I oh, had darling. no idea what that was, so I already feel smarter. And my second thing is, I don't think you ever leave medicine. I think medicine is a cult, and once you've signed up, you're there for life. <laughs> and yeah, just embrace it now. <laughs> embrace it. You're, you're here with us forever. <laughs> Even if you go do a different job, you're still going to be reminded that you were a doctor. Yeah. I think that's probably true, to be honest. What about you, Lily? I feel really positive. I think I often worry about the future and what medicine I'm going to do. I think because I have found a lot of medicine really hard. Um, But actually, this conversation has really inspired me to kind of sit in a bit of uncertainty, trust that it will probably be okay. Um, And similarly to you, Oki... um, I I agree. I don't think medicine ever leaves you. And I think it would be really good exercise for people who they find that claustrophobic to actually try and, like you said, embrace it and see it as something that is actually something that can transform you to become someone who is like that doctor that you look up to or is like... Like Dr. House. It's like like Dr. House. Exactly. (laughs) I think... I think sitting in that identity and being like, actually, I am this person. I'm not just this person. I might change in the future. But actually, this is a really good identity for me to be right now. Mm, May as well just go full out and get like a pretentious stethoscope with my name on it. So I think my favourite thing about today has just been being able to draw you guys um, into all of my thoughts that I've been having about how much my identity is attached to being a medical student and how that fits with all of the other parts of my identity. And to anyone who's listened to the tattoo episode, you'll know that um, I'm a little bit obsessed with how we form our identities and how Mm. we become parts of communities. I find it really interesting. So I'm sorry if you don't. And I have made this another podcast that's all about that. But um, no, I hope I hope people have found it interesting. So that's all from us on Sharp Scratch today. If you'd like to hear more from us, subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts. And in two weeks' time, you'll get our next episode straight to your phone. While you wait for the next episode, check us out on social media. We're BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag SharpScratch. We'd love to hear your ideas for what we should cover later in the season. It's also really helpful to us if you leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. It helps other med students find the show. Until then, it's goodbye from all of us. Bye! Bye! <laughs>